Hey there, welcome to the Clyde Podcast. I'm so glad you hopped on this week. If you're new to the podcast, you can subscribe and get this in your inbox every single day. I absolutely love this part of my job where I get to sit down with people and listen to their story, their unique perspective, their experience on the ways that God has run right into their lives in their pain and their brokenness and their hardship and how He's bringing about beauty and purpose and meaning. And this podcast interview that I'm about to hand you is no different. I got to sit down with Greg Otterholt. He's best known for his success in radio and as a broadcast personality and performer. But he was actually born missing half of his left arm. And in this interview, he not only shares what it was like to be labeled as someone with a birth defect at the time, but the perspective that his parents raised him to have. And it's really such an interesting and inspirational story. So I hope that as you listen to it, you will be inspired as well. Take a listen. Greg, it's so fun to have you on. Years ago, you and I did ministry together and yeah. got to serve and volunteer at a church together and found ourselves in a room meeting, I think, weekly, planning weekend services at our church. So this is right. a different way to do ministry. I'm so glad we get to be together. Oh, it's just a pleasure to be here. Uh, you, you've been a friend for a long time, and your husband has been a friend, and uh, our, our lives have crossed paths in a multitude of ways. So it's fun to do this. Oh, well, thanks for sharing your time with us. You have done so many things. You've worked in radio and TV broadcasting, and heck, you've been the weatherman. So I thought it'd be kind of fun just just for funsies. Do weathermen really think that they're right about the weather? It depends on who they are. What I've found is the more educated the weatherman, the more wrong their forecast is. Because <laughs> they start to depend on the Doppler and this device and that device. And they say, oh, yeah, it's going to start raining in 10 minutes here. And it's going to be raining about 645 there. And and, and I, I like to tell people, okay, here are all the scenarios. If this happens, then this is what we get. If that happens, then that's what we get. So we're watching to see how it comes together. How often do you get like personal texts and phone calls like on a Saturday you're at home and people are asking you what's going to go down with the weather? Does that happen? You know, what's it's usually just the opposite. I have people telling me what they think is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden they'll go, oh, I'm talking to a weatherman. <laughs> That's hilarious. Because everybody's an expert because they have it on their phone. So they, they think they're an expert at the weather and they just share it with everybody. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my goodness. How did you get into this business of radio and, and broadcasting? Uh, in middle school, I would sit with a tape player and start recording myself and I'd play little 45 records next to me and then I'd start introducing them. And uh, so I thought that was really fun just goofing around and never thought I would actually be in radio. And then I wanted to be a musician and started that track down uh, in college and was going to be a music major. Everything was going great. Got my associate's degree, had been doing music while I was in the midst of that. And then I got to the college I was going to, Western Washington University. 
and all accepted into the music department, ready to go down that track. And just now, as I'm doing that, I'm looking at the book and going, wait a minute, this class is one credit. This class is 0.5 credits. I'm going to, it's going to take me three more years. I already had done two years of college. So I thought, I don't really like school. What else is in this book? And started flipping through. And I had been an AV crew, audiovisual crew in high school and set up everybody's movies in their classes and that kind of thing too. So I, I was more of a, a do it kind of a person, loved the technology of audio and video, videotaped my cousin's weddings and all that kind of thing. So when I saw broadcast major, I thought, hmm, that looks like I can get that done in two years. Uh, let's go down that road. Wow. Wow. So it's all your calling was all based on like the effectiveness of how quickly you could graduate. How little schooling I could do at the moment. And I grew up in Tacoma, a, a large part of my life, Linwood in Tacoma, Washington. And one of the premier broadcast schools is in Tacoma. And it's a vocational technical school. Uh, and being from Tacoma, I'm like, well, that's in Tacoma. It can't be any good. <laughs> and then when I graduated with my major in broadcast, had the degree, the four-year degree, because that's just a two-year degree, I was competing with people out of that college that were way smarter than me about broadcasting, that had way more experience, and they were placing their students into jobs in broadcasting. And I was sitting here beating my feet, hitting the street and trying to get a job and going up against people from that college that couldn't have been very good because it was from my own town, you know, uh, and I was competing with them for the same jobs and they were getting them one after the other instead of me. So <laughs> it took a while. I have to say you took a different path than me in college. It was my goal to not have to get up and take a class before 10 a.m. Okay. And yeah. So it took me way too long to get my degree. <laughs> my goal was not to get up early. So there we go, folks. But I ended up with a degree. I want to rewind even further back, further back than you in college and, and, uh, saying yes to the calling God has had on your life in radio and broadcast. And even further back then when you were kind of, you know, DJing with records in your bedroom as a kid, which is absolutely adorable. But a huge part of your story is that you were actually born missing half of your left arm. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious, do you now know how your parents handled hearing that news in the hospital at your birth? Or did, did they hear the news before you're born? Did they hear it when you were born? Like, take us all the way back to, to that. Well, I, my parents told me I was born under a rock. So that was way before they, uh, you know, had all the ability to <laughs> look inside the womb and see what's going on there. No, I was born in the late 60s, uh, so they didn't know anything until I was born. There were, every birth was a surprise back then. Was it a boy? Was it a girl? And everything else that you look at. And, you know, most parents, uh, when they say they're pregnant and expecting a baby, you ask them, you want a boy or a girl? The standard answer is, I don't care as long as he has 10 fingers and 10 toes or she has 10 mm -hmm. fingers and 10 toes, I'll be happy. Mm 
And that was not the case for me. I only had five fingers, 10 toes. But uh, so still to this day, it's funny when you talk to people that are expecting, that's still a very common answer. Uh, My parents had no idea. And so it was a surprise when I was born uh, and came out with one arm. My parents were really young, 20 and 22 when I was born. They married at 18 and 20. And so they were just kids when I was born. And uh, they had had backgrounds in the church. My mom grew up Catholic. My dad grew up having his parents drop him off at, a, I think, a Methodist church. And so he did that until he was 16. And then he was done doing his duty. And uh, my mom had still gone to Catholic church. But once the two of them met, they just kind of were their own partnership and church wasn't an important thing. And so I was born and uh, they, the doctors at that point in time said, well, this is a challenging situation for the mom and dad. And they asked my mom, would you like a priest to come in, knowing that she had a Catholic background? And the priest came in and basically told her, it's because you haven't been going to mass lately that your child was born with one arm. And uh, so this is your punishment for not being consistent in going to mass. And my mom said, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the backside. And she was done with religion. Mm -hmm. Religion was now not of any interest to her if that's how she's going to be treated and be blamed. She was already blaming herself, thinking, what did I eat? What did I do? What did I drink? You know, she was so careful all the way through the pregnancy not to do anything wrong, to be careful how she walked, you know, how most moms would behave. And so it was just such a shock that this happened. She blamed herself and then the priest came and blamed her. So she felt horrible and tells me the story about that. And then later on, she was flipping through the Bible. And there's the story about the man born blind. And the people around Jesus said, Jesus, was this man born blind because of his sin or because his parents sinned? And Jesus said, well, it's neither his sin or his parents sin, but so that the work of God can be displayed through this person. And uh, sure enough, to this day, 2000 years later, we still talk about that story and still talk about that person. And that story really resonated with her and kept that, that tiny glimmer of hope in her, which later came to fruition. I love that so much. And I love that Jesus, he knows the ways in which we feel hurt and wounded and broken. And here your mom already had enough to to process and navigate, you know, bearing a child who's going to have some struggles and who, who's going to be different. And what does that look like? And, you know, you're saying she already dealt with like mom guilt and questioning if she played a role in that. And then yeah. to have someone who represents God come in and completely shame her and make her feel terrible about her pursuit of God. I just love that 
God is so much bigger and, and yeah. gracious than that, that he showed up to her. And, you know, we talk all the time around here about colliding, that he collided with her in that way and invited her to see uh, that that wasn't the case at all. Like he freed yeah. her of what a religious person wanted to burden her with. And I love that about yeah. him so much. Really well, cool. I took that whole story and I, I put it into a song called Who Strengthens You? And it was just kind of a, a look back at life. I think I was hitting a momentous birthday at the time. And, uh, you know, go up into the attic, look at the picture of you as a little kid. And what you're seeing is the reflection off of the, the glass at the same time that you're seeing the picture behind the glass. You're seeing the reflection of you in the glass now. And took, took that imagery and did the whole song about who strengthens you. Uh, because there's that verse in the Bible, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so that's the question, you know, rather than making it a statement, which it is in the Bible, the question I ask is, who strengthens me? Who strengthens you? That could be a parent, that could be uh, a loved one, a child, a spouse. Uh, who strengthens you? In my, my life, Christ is the ultimate strength, right? But he puts people in our life to strengthen us as well. And so the question is always asking, who strengthens me? Who strengthens you? And uh, that it tells that story that I mentioned to you in the Bible about the man born blind. And uh, now the question is clear. God wants to hear, who strengthens you? I want to rewind even further back, but as a kid, what was that oh, yeah. like to live in in a time where people labeled you as having a birth defect? Do you remember moments where you felt different or where you felt picked upon or where you felt incapable of doing things that other kids did? I mean, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was definitely there. And I think it was more prominent in that day and age than it is now. I think we're really a lot more thoughtful about the language that we use with people. And there's still to this day, no common term for handicapped, disabled, birth defect, all of that. Mm -hmm. It all still feels really weird when I have to label myself as handicapped because I don't feel handicapped. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I'm able to do just about everything anybody else can do. I don't pick my nose with my hook. Um, so, <laughs> Ouch. yeah, so there, there is a handicap there. You know, most people can pick their nose with their left arm. I don't. Uh, if that's a handicap, then yeah, I'm handicapped. But uh, when it comes to other things, uh, you know, God gives you an abundance of different gifts and where you're lacking in some, he usually provides others to make up for it. At least that's what I've seen with people that I've run across in life. Look at Stevie Wonder, right? Born blind mm -hmm. uh, or blind early in life. Ray Charles, same thing. And the list goes on and on. People that are so gifted uh, because they get an extra measure where they're lacking in some things. Mm -hmm. uh, they exceed beyond expectation and others. Yeah, I love that perspective that you have. 
Were there actual practical things growing up that you had to navigate or learn how to do uh, that didn't come as easy for you? I mean, to help us understand what your experience was like. I mean, what were some of the practical things that were challenging that you've maybe now figured out? Oh, I I figured out how to do this, but it took (laughs) you some work. Well, things as early on as tying your shoes. How do you tie your shoes with one hand or maybe a hand and a hook? So I had to figure that out. How do you zip your coat with one hand? You know, you usually got to put the two sides of the coat together and figure out how to get that zipper on the other side and uh, things like that as a three and a four-year-old. And my mom and dad said my, my standard phrase back to them was, I do it myself. <laughs> but everybody's, everybody's trying to help me. Hey, we got to get out the door. Let me zip your, I do it myself. Let me tell you, I do it myself. And it may take me time, uh, extra time. But uh, that was, I was very independent as a kid. And that has positives and negatives to it as you grow up. Uh, but uh, very uh, independent lifestyle. And I didn't want to have to have help from other people. And also you kind of become an inventor in a lot of ways of how do I tackle this project? How do I do this thing? And you figure out different ways to do things and ways that most people don't even think of. So uh, a lot of people will look at the way I will do things with one arm and a hook for another arm. And they'll see me do things that they go, oh, wait, if I did it that way, I would be way more efficient. That's amazing how you did that. So uh, uh, there are a lot of great positives to whatever challenge you have in life as well. Mm -hmm. Figuring out a way around those challenges. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is different, but I have uh, a kid with a learning disability and I've watched him over the course of his time. Now he's a young adult, but it's almost because of some of the challenges that he had that these crazy, this this work ethic that he has is almost unmatched. Like, I don't really yeah. know anyone who has a work ethic like him. And I think part of it is because he had to work so hard to overcome some of yeah. the obstacles that he faced. And so it's been really interesting to watch some of the gift and the purpose and the good come out of the hard, you know, yeah. which I think is a little bit what you're describing. You had to figure out how to navigate tying your shoe. Now other people look at you and they're absolutely amazed and it's normal to you, but you had to figure that out, you know? Yeah. Hey friends, as a special thank you for listening to our podcast, we wanted to give you all $10 off your tickets to our Meant for More conference on March 3rd. At this conference, we will be hearing from Maddie Pruitt-Trout, Candy West, and Willow Weston. We are so excited to hear from these incredible women. So follow the ticket link in our show notes. Use code podcast at checkout and the discount is yours. Thank you so much for tuning in every week and we hope to see you at the conference. You've had some really pretty cool experiences. Um, I'm hoping to hear about them. I've heard you um, have have been captured by cameras of TV, Wide World Sports, and ESPN competing in the 19... 19- 
85 National Handicap Ski Championships. That same year, you appeared in the pages of Golf Digest, hitting a one-handed hole-in-one. You later played for the World Cup Soccer Tournament in 94 with the U.S. Amputee Exhibition Team. What were some of the coolest moments that you experienced in some of these opportunities you've had? Um. I remember being in Breckenridge, Colorado, uh, skiing at my very first national championships. And that's where the cameras were all there. And you've probably seen Olympic races or ski races on TV. They don't always show you what it takes to capture those. So they have these giant towers uh, of scaffolding all along the race course. Mm -hmm. And at the top of the scaffolding, a giant camera. And imagine 10 of these along a race course. And so as you're skiing down, you don't usually see scaffolding on the middle of the ski slope to see them all along the ski slope and have these cameras swinging past as you're flying by at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour is Mm -hmm. surreal. And there aren't also really very many opportunities where you can ski that fast in a ski area because it's dangerous to at high speeds when there are other people in your path. So those things, seeing the camera swing by, uh, skiing at such high speeds down the hill, uh, that's not something you really get to practice much of as well. So when you're in a race like that, you have very few hours on the hill racing at those speeds. And the other thing was we were wearing full, full he- head helmets And these were motorcycle helmets back in the day in the 80s. Now you have really nice, thin uh, ski helmets that, you know, that don't take up a lot of weight and uh, are not the old helmets of the 80s were not very aerodynamic for ski racing. And I remember putting that helmet on your head and all of a sudden it's a motorcycle. It's a DOT approved helmet. So you're not hearing much of the sound around you, and yet you're flying down at 70 miles an hour on snow, on sticks, on your feet that are chattering all over the place. And so you've got this mayhem that's happening around you and under your feet, and you're not really even hearing it hardly because of the helmet. That was the most surreal moment I remember uh, going down that hill, just flying faster than I ever had flown, and yet not feeling it, not audibly hearing it. That was that was pretty amazing. So mm-hmm. there are just so many amazing opportunities. Uh, the people that I got to meet um, in that scenario as well, just amazing people. And I thought, I'm out here with one arm, but I'm racing with people that are paraplegics, racing in sleds one-legged guys racing on one leg and one ski with maybe uh, outriggers uh, or something like that. An outrigger is like a a crutch. So imagine skiing on one leg and having crutches on both sides and the crutches have a little mini ski on each of them that so you can kind of slide those along the way. And I thought as a one-armed guy, you know, this is skiing. I have both my legs. Uh, I can stand upright and I'm, I'm racing with people that are, have way more challenges than me 
and they are just leaving me in the dust. We didn't race against each other. One-armed guys race against one-armed guys. One-legged people raced against one-legged people and so on. But uh, we would all free ski in the off-racing times. And I was just blown away by some of these folks that they're taking jumps and doing a flip with one leg. That was mind-boggling. Wow. It is mind-boggling to me that you were, you, you must have been raised in a home where your parents helped you to take on a perspective that gave you the bravery and the ability to see differently than you could have. You could have kind of lived, you know, feeling sorry for yourself or having a pity party or not saying yes to crazy things like skiing. And here you are (laughs) and you're doing all of these things. You say you were taught not to be defined by labels. You know, what do you think it was about your parents? What do you think that they did right to help you to know, yeah, you, you might be born different than, you know, some of your friends in your class, but you have opportunity and life and a plan ahead of you and, and you can do things like what, what was it about them and what did they do or teach you or how did they guide you to give you such a, uh, an amazing perspective on, on your story? Well, it started in the hospital, uh, born in Seattle, And we were really close to Children's Hospital, which is also in Seattle. And having been born with one arm, they would take me to Children's Hospital. And my parents would meet with a a counselor there. And that counselor there said, rule number one, do not baby your child. Do not do things for them. Treat them as a normal child. Now, my parents, this is their first child. I'm the firstborn. So they're like, what What do you mean treat them as a normal child? We're brand new at this already. We don't even know what treating a child normally is. Uh, so they, they got a lot of great lessons from that. And not babying was one of the key ones. And with that, they also were pretty young. So they didn't have a lot of uh, pre-described forms of thinking of, oh, we've already had two children and this is how you raise kids. This was all brand new to them. And being young and a first-time parent, I think also was a help to them to be able to allow me to do things that they weren't comfortable with, Uh, you know, walking on ledges that, you know, were maybe five feet up off the ground, no big deal for most people. But If your child is so-called handicapped or disabled, all you can think about is, I don't want them to get more disabled or more handicapped falling off that ledge or or doing something that's a little more dangerous. We were a motorcycle family, so we bought dirt bikes uh, when we we were little kids. Uh, My brother and I started riding dirt bikes. My sister was adopted when I was 15, and she jumped right on in. We'd rode rode motorcycles and four-wheelers and three-wheelers and then dune buggies. And that's kind of the lifestyle that our family loved was being outdoorsy and uh, having fun with with those kind of uh, things. And, you know, I'm riding a motorcycle with one arm and a hook. So you got to figure out different ways to do that. But it was never a matter of, oh, let's let's be more careful of Greg 
you know, let's put them in the dune buggy or something like that. So they they gave me every opportunity to try everything. And if it meant moving the clutch so that I could use it a different way, then that's what they did. And they didn't even think twice about it. I so. love that so much. And I, I'm sure that you've had days that weren't all out of the playbooks of an inspiring movie. I mean, I'm sure you've had <laughs> days where, you know, you struggled either with just an obstacle or this being part of your story, or I only bring that up because I think there's people who might be listening where they have, they feel different or they have obstacles in their life. And it's easy to hear someone who has an amazing attitude and amazing perspective. But what I want to ask you is what about the hard days? Like, what have you done on the hard days where, you haven't necessarily had an awesome attitude or perspective, or you felt like, man, this is hard. How have you managed to pull yourself out and choose faith and hope and joy? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's not just people who face struggles physically and things like that. Everybody faces that. And even to this day, I'm still challenged how to get myself out of a funk uh, sometimes And it's usually nothing to do with having one arm. It's usually the day-to-day, every day, everybody experiences these things, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a parent, as a coworker, as an employee, as a boss, we all experience these challenges and it's a continual reminder to yourself, okay, God brought me through that time, that last time. Oh yeah, God brought me through the time after that and the time after that and the time after that. We have very short memories when it comes to how God provides and, and, and makes a way for us to see beyond the immediate struggle or the immediate challenge. Uh, and there was name calling and all that. There was teasing uh, during grade school, even up through college, even at one of the jobs I had at TV. There, were, there was teasing. One guy got fired because he was so disturbing and disgusting with his jokes. And I was in my thirties at that time. And, uh, you know, that will happen in life. There will be naysayers. There will, there will be people that just have the wrong attitude. But my parents taught me as a little kid, usually when people tease you or call you names or are demeaning to you, it's because they have an issue with themselves and they see an opportunity where they have control in this situation, they can call you names and maybe it makes them feel better about themselves because they're not as bad as you or whatever the case may be. Usually it was a problem of theirs, not yours. And the idea that we should really have more pity on them than ourselves, that they would think that that's going to help them somehow. Mm-hmm. And so that was a perspective my parents had. And my parents came to faith when I was young. Uh, I was about seven years old. I was going to a vacation Bible school. I gave my life to the Lord. It made total sense to me as a seven-year-old what they were saying about the same time my mom did at a ladies' Bible study. And then my dad did. And, uh, and each member of the family, one by one. And that faith that they had, uh, was growing and they were learning things and sharing those with me as a kid uh, to inspire me as well. So there's just so many ways that God uh, 
kind of came in and disrupted whatever attitude problem I was having at the moment and continually having to remember, oh yeah, that's right. He did that here. Uh, uh, that's, that's the thing that we all try to remember are the ways that God intervenes and provides. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When we're having a hard season or a hard day, I mean, I know for me, I almost have to preach to myself and remind myself what I know to be true or ways I literally will write down like ways I've seen God show up when I felt this way previously. Yeah. And I'll write it down to remind myself, oh yeah, he did this. And oh yeah, he showed me this. And oh yeah, he provided for me here. And he's like, I'm the same God. Like yeah. I'm the same God. I'll show up again. I will show you I'm, <laughs> I'm up at something. My power is still powerful, you know, yeah. but it's almost like you have to remind yourself what is true on the hard days. It, it is. Yeah. And yeah. those can come in a myriad of ways, but uh, he is in control. I ran a job for 15 years, ran my own business for 15 years. So did TV for 17 years. I'm dating myself now. And then uh, I did a little radio on the the 60s. So you've already dated yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, did TV for 17 years and then uh, had to figure out, okay, what's next? Okay. uh Oh, you know, what am I going to do now? I don't. Where's my identity? I was the weatherman on TV and now I've got nothing. And then God provides. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He keeps providing. And then every year running your own business, uh, you know, you're continually, I was doing audio and video. So it's continually filling the pipeline with the next job while you're working on the current job. And so things would get a little lean and a little tight and you'd think, oh, uh oh, maybe this is the time to be done and get a regular job. (laughs) And then God provides. Mm -hmm. So 15 years of that, every month, God providing over and over and over again and continually me and my in in my human self going, uh oh, it's looking a little lean next week, next month. And, and having to always kind of kick myself and go, oh, yeah, this is the same thing that God has done every time he has helped you fill the pipeline. And when you try to do it in and of your own strength, usually it falls flat on your face. And, uh, and then when you have to rely on God, that's when he says, hey, remember me? Uh, knock, knock. (laughs) You're describing my life as a nonprofit ministry director, right? You're always like, okay, God, I hope you provide. You know, I wonder if you've ever thought about how your life would be different if you weren't empowered to believe that you would not be held back. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, I basically look at there was an old Jesse Jackson episode of Saturday Night Live and they asked him a question and his answer was, the question is moot. <laughs> and he'd always answer with, the question is moot. <laughs> you know, what if, what what could have been, what should have been if I had only done this? And I love that answer. The question is moot. That's not even a possibility. We can't go back and turn back time. So we can't really say what would have been, what could have been, what should have been. The question is moot. God had a plan for us. 
we choose whether or not we're going to follow that plan. And as we ebb and flow around his straight and narrow plan, and we make S's all along the way, slaloming around his plan, uh, he keeps going, okay, I see how you did this. Now here's how we can fix it and get you back on the straight and narrow road that I've got planned for you. Um, and, uh, you know, so the question is, I don't, I don't know what would have been, what could have been. Um, and it, it really wasn't even an option. I think I ask you because I think so often, uh, we hold ourselves back and you were, you were born into a situation where you easily mentally yourself could have felt held back, but you had these parents that fully empowered you by God's grace and goodness in their lives to not be held back. And when you think about people listening today who maybe are holding themselves back, they're holding themselves back because they think, I don't, I don't have what it takes or I have these obstacles or there's this struggle or I have an inability. What's your advice for them to get unstuck in their perspective shift to not hold themselves back from the possibilities that God has for their lives? That's often difficult because we, we so often compare ourselves to other people, right? And there's already, always somebody who's got it worse off than, than us. And what that can do is when we compare ourselves to other people who have it worse off than us, we can start to even feel worse about ourselves. Well, look at, look at them. You know, they've got all these challenges and yet they're still going for it. They're still succeeding. And here I am with no excuses. Sometimes that can be a spiral the wrong direction. And having to, to recognize that we are not comparing ourselves to other people, mm-hmm. that all we have to do is compare ourselves to Jesus. And we will always fall short of that comparison. And not that it, not that we use that comparison to continue that spiral down that, oh, I'll never be able to do it. I'll never be able to measure up because my comparison is Jesus. No, it's just the opposite. It's going, Jesus is providing a way for you to stand up under any circumstances in his will. That that Philippians 4.13 we talked about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If it's in his will, he, he will provide a way. And having ourselves kind of grounded in, this is not something I can necessarily do in and of myself, but through Christ, with his strength, with his empowerment, I can do whatever he wants me to do. He will make an opportunity for me to do whatever he wants to do. And throughout the Bible, we see that time and time again of different people who were not equipped to do what they were supposed to do in and of themselves. But then God provided. He equipped them and gave them the ability to do what he wanted them to do. So keeping that perspective uh, is always the best perspective. Greg, there's so many things that I could ask you, but I'm just so grateful that you hopped on and shared a piece of your story. You truly are inspiring us to be inspired by Jesus as he shows up in our lives and not to be held back, but to say yes to what God has for us. And I'm just grateful for the way that you openly share your experience and 
it's it's truly inspiring. So thank you for oh, doing thank you. for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. yeah, I love the verse. God will do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his purposes, not necessarily our own, right? Uh, and that's really what I believe. And I see it over and over displayed again and again. Greg, I know there's going to be people who want to follow you and your story and the work that you do. How can they can connect with you? Yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, I worked in my own business for seven, well, worked TV 17 years, then did my own business. Hookandpan.com is the website that has uh, my business uh, and has my uh, music on there as well. So I ended up doing the music thing. And uh, then now I end up playing music for uh, of other artists and still doing some of my own. So you can hear that song we talked about, Who Strengthens You, uh, if you go to hookandpan.com and look at the music tab. You can find that. And then I'm also on the air uh, Monday through Friday on Praise 106.5. And if you're in the Northwest Washington area or Southwest British Columbia, you can hear that on 106.5. And you can always go uh, look it up online, praise1065.com. And you can hear my goofy self and my co-host uh, weekday mornings, Monday through Friday, uh, around 7 in the morning till about 11.15. So a couple different ways to, to find me. Thanks for sharing your story with us today, Greg. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Friend, I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Greg Otterholt. It's so inspiring to hear other people's stories. But I also know that sometimes when we hear people's stories and the way that God's shown up in their lives, when we're in a space or a season where we feel like we can't see God showing up in ours, it can feel discouraging. And so my hope today is if you're feeling like you are held back, Maybe other people are holding you back or you yourself are being held back. I hope that God will meet you in the midst of that. And I trust that He will because He's a God who collides with our lives right where we're at. And I hope that you'll allow Him to shift your perspective, to give you this strength and this inspiration and this bravery to not hold yourself back by your obstacles or what you see as your weaknesses or your inadequacies, but instead that you would truly allow Him to just open the floodgates and show you that He can do incredibly more in your life than you could ask or imagine. So friend, let's keep colliding with Jesus and not be held back, but instead be challenged and propelled forward into what God has for us. Keep colliding and we'll catch you next week.